Hello and welcome to another episode of the Everything's Been Done podcast, conversations in cycling subculture. I'm your host, Dustin Klein, and today's episode is brought to you by the International Players Club. Join the International Players Club at the carbon fiber level and know that your donation is supporting the cause. And for your efforts, you will get the highly coveted, beautiful, rainbow, everything's been done patch. So whenever any other player on the street sees you, they'll know that you have a heart of gold. Join the International Players Club through the link below. Today's guest is very dedicated to all things cycling. From racing bikes, messenger culture, vintage cycles, knowing the history, building community, you can find him at Deluxe Cycles online and Instagram. Please join me in welcoming my longtime friend, Mr. Willis Johnson. Welcome, Willis. It is such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Hey, Dustin. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Anyway, it is definitely my pleasure. Uh, for those who don't know, we have, Willis and Dustin, we have known each other for, I don't even, I was trying to think of the first time we met. Do you even do you know? know? We do this every time we hang out. We're trying to piece it together. <laughs> and I, I like that. I think, honestly, man, I think I met you at World in Seattle because that was my second, right? That's what I thought. Year met, I was thinking about this interview and I was like, shit, okay, we actually got to figure this out. And I think it was 2004 and I started in 2002. Yeah. And I think you had maybe an old Cadence shirt on or something. And I was like, that was, I was like, that's a cool shirt. And you're like, thanks so much. And then I remember running into you in SF. Uh, for Quake City Rumble, and then totally, I, I think yes. the first time we kind of hung out though was because we had seen each other around at that point. Was um, what maybe the knack in Portland? Do you remember that one? Because you had oh your poster. yeah, I still have that poster, dude. It's oh, framed yeah. in my bathroom at my studio. I so remember I, that. Yeah, yeah. That's so I tried to put it together, and I think that was the timeline, if I remember right. That sound totally because it was def. That makes so much sense because especially messenger stuff, you have all these funny contact points and then you're yeah. just kind of like friends and you like, don't even know how you, how that happened. It's just this very gradual transition. Yeah. That's yeah. So awesome. That 16 years ago. Dude. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's awesome. Wow. Yeah. Huh. If we would have gotten lucky one of those nights, we'd have a 16 year old right here and you'd be like, <laughs> he was there when you were conceived. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You can take the car. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that just got his license. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then you were in Seattle when we met at, because the, the Worlds were in Seattle at that point, 2004. Right. Uh, the Worlds is Cycle Messenger World Championships. This was all through messenger culture. Uh, and do you grew up in Port Townsend? Is that right? So I moved around a lot, but the oh. timeline or history goes that I actually grew up in Olympia, Washington. Um, and I lived at Port Townsend for a period of time, um, on a, a boat actually with my mom. And then oh, I moved out. to, yeah. And I moved to Seattle around 14 to 15 and it was kind of like a runaway from home situation. And then, um, later, uh, my mom actually moved to Seattle and, uh, we rekindled our relationship and, um, yeah, I had a really great relationship after that. So I, I would say... I grew up in time in all three cities at different points in my life, but um, Washington State, yeah, that's where I grew up. Yeah, right, like Pacific Northwest into Washington. Did you know Chaz yeah. at all or hear of him or any path crossings? I didn't realize you guys both had so, Olympia. Yeah, um, he grew up like in Lacey, which is a small city like outside of Olympia, and then I grew up in Olympia proper, but there was a bit of crossover that we put together – I think in Hamburg, Germany, we were on a train coming from Prague. I think this is post Red Hook. And oh, cool. this is a funny story. I'll make it very quick. But we we're in the train station transferring to Hamburg because we we're going to go see our friend in Paris. And we both saw Dunkin Donuts. And without saying anything, Dustin, we just like walked <laughs> together towards Dunkin Donuts. Just like American kids taste yes. at home, coffee and a donut, you know, like what could be more perfect? Yeah. And, um, you know, we have our iced coffees and a little bag of donut. And I remember we were sitting against this like electrical box because we had our bike bags and all this crap with us and we just wanted to break. And right as we sat down next to our train, it just pulls off. And, Ugh. you know, Chaz looks and he's like, dude, I think that was our train. And I was like, 
okay. And just took a sip of coffee and he was like, what are you going to do? You know, we're trying to figure out our plan. And I was like, well, we're going to finish our coffee and donut and see what our options are. And, um, that night we ended up having to spend the night there and it was really similar uh, city to Portland actually, as far as like metropolis on the river and bridges. And, um, it reminded me of that, but on the walk, we're just drinking beer along the river, just kind of like catching up. And we started talking about Olympia cause we never really talked about it a whole lot. And we were both like shithead skater tagger kids, you know? And I remember seeing his graffiti cause I was a bit older, a couple years older. And I remember seeing it and I remember seeing, him doing a tag at like, this legal wall downtown and we put that together on this walk in hamburg that like we actually had seen each other's graffiti around at that point but um so there's a little bit of overlap that we put together but we we never like were hung out or friends he's actually friends with people that i knew from like different high schools and stuff um but yeah i mean that's just a cool connection we both love olympia and you know both love like a lot of things about that area and um you know he's like one of my best friends so i think it's cool we have that in common that uh you know what that story makes me think about yeah you have always been so like pragmatic or calm or level-headed like mm. the train pulling off and you're just like well we'll just figure it out like that's feels so rare especially coming from someone that's so wound up and just like ah, about everything <laughs> But you're I, I feel like every time I either see or hear a story of you just calmly reacting to things, I'm always like, wow, that's so uncommon. It's just I don't know. I just wanted to take a moment to say, like, that's really cool that you do that. And it's it doesn't feel so you don't see that every day, Willis. Oh, man, that's no. sweet. I appreciate that. I mean, no, no one's perfect. And I, I definitely have uh, some ramped up moments, too. But. I've been there a lot at a very young age, so I think I just kind of have a tendency to take a step back and look at it versus be reactive. Um, yes. I got, you know, there's a reason why I left home so young, and it was a lot of those interactions, and I was like, okay, so that's what I don't want to be like. I need to go figure my shit out and what I do want to be like, and I'm in such a desperate position that I feel the need to, like, go forth with that. So I think I was trying to change a pivotal moment in time in like adolescence to not repeat history and not repeat what had been done to me. So I think that pragmatist or like that, that calmness or like looking at things logically just comes from having been through kind of a lot and like realizing that like being reactionary about situations isn't going to get anything accomplished and you're still gonna have to go back and be like, Oh, okay. This is what I should do or logically try to sort it out. So, um, but thanks man. That's, that's very nice of you to say. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's kind of rare too. People tend to get a bit more reactionary. Um, but ultimately you have to get that back to that same place again, you know? Yeah, I definitely am on the reactionary side of things. And for me, it feels very like uncontrollable. Like it just happens. And then you're like, oh, that was fucking stupid or whatever. <laughs> I, I'm curious of how you like untied that knot. Cause it can be so subconscious for people. Um, lots of skateboarding, lots of like painting tons of graffiti and just blowing off steam and trying to like look within myself and be acknowledging or acknowledge like that it's okay to feel pain or process and like how through that process am I going to end up or get through that. And, um, I don't have the answer. I'm not perfect. I can be reactionary. I have a temper. Ask anyone, you know, who's ever worked for me. Uh, but I do care. And I just think, um, taking the time to really, really look within yourself and be honest with yourself is hard. And I think a lot of people, um, perhaps need to work on that, you know? Um, but also too, dude, I think it's okay to be reactionary. Like people have crazy personalities, different chemical balances in their brain. Some people are just reactionary and that's okay too. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Like I'm not better than anyone for dealing with situation differently. You know, like a lot of the reactionary, like you, like it comes from passion, like, you know, um, yeah. and I, I admire, I admire that as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I do. I am from the school of thought though, that we can all, we can change our personality or our, uh, behaviors. You know, it's just, the brain is just a muscle that needs to be exercised. So it's yes. like, it's just funny when it's so fast, it doesn't feel like there's a choice there. And I, you know, I think from things you know, I've learned and read is like, Oh, you acknowledge what had happened. And then you kind of slowly through the process get to be like, oh, I have a choice here. Do I like 
do the stupid thing or do I just hold on to this intense energy, mm. which feels disgusting? It doesn't, it's not fun. Yeah. And you're like, ah, like throw that or just like feel it. And it's almost like a snowball. And then it just melts. And then it turns into water, which is the flow of all life. And you and ascend you like a phoenix. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> or something like that. I haven't gotten to that chapter yet. Uh, just... <laughs> you got to write the book, my friend. You got to yeah. write the book. <laughs> honestly cycling too right like you know you're you're a ball of energy and passion and passionate and you've cycled i think shit probably just as long as i have and like that's the one thing that's always been there and allows me to process blow off steam and you know if you're in your head six hours in a century like you got some time to think and and process things too so yeah i i when did you start getting into cycling oh shit okay so i thought about this question too and i say oh shit because uh it, there's an interesting backstory there, but, um, so I got a Huffy and my mom got it for me and it was like total knockoff in comparison to what my friends had. And, um, I BMX. Yeah. And I loved it. And we had this like pump track, like, I don't know, like a mile down, uh, from where I was staying. And, um, I'd show up my Huffy and like, you know, I get mocked at or whatever, you know, kids are mean and I didn't give a shit. I sent it on the Huffy. Like I <laughs> crashed so many times and was just trying to do dumb stuff and replicate whatever we saw on like, you know, BMX plus in the freestyle section. Like back then it was all BMX racing. And, um, anyways, man. So I uh, had a friend who had a paper out and he always had nice bikes or like new upgrades or handlebars. And I was like, I need to get a paper out so I can get off this Huffy. Oh, and sick. Um, I got a paper out and it was my mom's like roadster, some generic brand of like a female road bike with like the drop bar. And yeah. I had front and back baskets and the bag and, you know, I was making okay money. And then I figured out that I could actually double up and do two routes. Oh, um, gnarly. I mean, I was like 12. <laughs> it's, ama- it's amazing to give kids this level of responsibility at 12. Like, you know, um, Anyway, I'd get up at like 3.30 in the morning, dude, before school and like do this. Oh, shit. And uh, so that's when I, I, got, I got a real bike. I bought a used Hutch from a good friend. And then I wanted to race because I got into like BMX. And then I was like, okay, I, bought, I saved up and bought a GT Mach 3, which is like this aluminum fancy race bike at the time. Oh, cool. And um, I just worked my butt off to like, I wanted to race uh, kind of from young. And then, you know, I took a break because it actually got stolen out of my garage by this like kid from high school and he tried to cover it up and it was a whole thing and I, I just got like kind of discouraged and bummed out about it and I was like well I like skateboarding a lot so I just kind of like shifted and pivoted at that point and I mean I skated for a long time after that and um I was skating downtown Seattle and I saw some dude in a mountain bike with a sling bag and I actually knew him from this like other graffiti crew that we were like cool with um, oh. and started talking with him and he was like, yeah, it's great. You can like get paid to ride your bike and catch tags all day. And I was like, well, that sounds pretty rad. I like bikes. And he's like, yeah, they provide you a bike. Do you remember ABC oh. legal? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. They so gave them, for them bikes. My, yeah, dude. I had this like Trek antelope 850. Oh, the like, Trek antelope. That's exactly the same. <laughs> what in the fuck? Oh, I gotta make a shirt with this bike. I'm down. Let's do a collab sick um it was like black with like splatter paint i was like yeah this thing's sick and i'm a little sling bag my little you know phone or whatever and like it was the funnest job on earth and yeah so that was like my reintroduction much later uh i guess about a 12 year gap or around there um yeah so then bike messaging you know yeah and then did that kind of did that take it over from that point like you were just or did it slowly start to dominate or was it the balancing both things you know skate bike graffiti it's all subculture based and community oriented and somewhat creative right so or i'd say very creative actually yeah Uh, so for me for me it was a really natural transition in that way and um kind of what was going on dude is that the people i was writing graffiti with were like kind of bad people and they were like getting into like drugs and like beating up people at parties and stealing shit and like whatever like I it's just not my thing and I love graphing I did it for a very long time but like as I got older and after leaving home and already been through so much that like I didn't feel that I wanted to do that and 
Um, so the bike master community was really positive people for the most part. Like, I mean, you remember back mm. then it was like someone was a messenger and then they were also like a painter or they had this other skill set and they were doing the job, just kind of like pay the bills to get to the next step in their creative, uh, avenue or direction per se, you know? Um, and I love that. And I just, I, I, I'm competitive. I like going fast. I like racing. I always have, I don't know. I think I got it from my mom racing cars or whatever, but, um, man, it was exciting. Like remember when you discovered like messaging is a thing and there's a subculture and like you go to race, it was just, you know, it's awesome. These are going to be our good old days. We talk about in our sixties, you know, <laughs> I think we, now. We, we might've started. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, then, then it was like track bikes and then it was like, holy shit, I can't figure this thing out. And, oh wait, so you know, how, how did you figure? Yeah. Okay. So side note for anyone that's never been to Seattle, uh, from what I know, Seattle is the gnarliest city to ride a track bike in because the downtown is built on all these hills Every neighborhood right. is on a hill. So how did you start right. getting into a track bike in this insane city? Right. There was like one of, I was like one of five people. Uh, okay. Yeah. So sea level to elevation is like, and then there's oh. tiers in Seattle. Right. So like, you know, the, you do like an eight tier drop six tier. And those yeah. are like steep hill, flat, steep, flat, deep, uh, east, west is all vertical. So I'll touch back on that because I, I want to cross-reference SF, but to answer your question, um, do you know James Newman? Yeah, you do. Yeah. You know, so he's like one of my dearest friends. And um, another friend is Nick Dale. He goes by Nico, yeah. but he was of that era too. And I was actually roommates with them. And James got me like my ABC legal job because back then you had to like vouch for somebody. It was like very word of mouth and be trusted in the community or some cool guy shit. I don't know. But yeah, he did. He vouched for me. He put his neck out there and we were roommates. We were in the same DJ crew. And, oh, cool. um, Dale had this like conversion, like, you know, like flip bullhorns, like total cliche, like entry level conversion. And, um, my parents were living in Fremont at the time. I was living in Wallingford with them. And every Sunday dinner, my stepdad would make like, you know, a supper. And, uh, they were trying to like reinstill family dynamic and structure. And I used to go over there every Sunday and be like, hey, Nick, can I borrow the fixie? And oh. I would start downhill straight towards Gasworks Park. And I forget the name of the road, Wallingford, maybe. And it yeah. was steep and it just, got, it just got steeper and steeper and steeper. And there's and a could. hard left 90 on that thing. The right. Yep. Dude. So I couldn't figure it out, man. One night I was like, okay, I had a couple of beers with those guys. And I was like, okay, I'm going to like go down to Gasworks Park and figure this shit out. And there's, the, there's those hills like in Gasworks Park. Oh. And I was bombing down to Gasworks Park and I couldn't stop. I couldn't figure it out. Like I, I didn't comprehend it. And I was trying to do the backpedal thing. And I hadn't really taught myself how to skid. So I just dove into it, crashed in like the side, you know, flopped in some grass because I couldn't stop. It was either like blow this light or like hit a curb to stop. It was like a very like yeah. survival instinct mode shit. And then I got up and like brushed my shoulder off and was like, okay. And so I went down to Gasworks went up and down hills, figure out how to skid, was kind of riding off road a little bit. I like went off a curb and I was like, oh yeah, that's like an Ollie. That's cool. You like pop it. It was like, so like, it's kind of like forced myself to figure it out because I couldn't. Right. And it was also a lot of fun. So, um, I learned how to ride a track bike going over to my mom's house for Sunday dinner, essentially before I was uh, a messenger. So I, yeah. And there was like, I think maybe 10 people, maybe 12, like they even had the things. And most of them raced at Marymore at the track. Like they're like, you're crazy riding out on the street, you know, like, you hear these conversations. So did, did Nick and James never, I know you're getting attacked. They never bothered some, yeah. <laughs> telling you how to use it. There was a no break on this too. I'm guessing. No. Well, He's I mean, just, okay. You know, how Newman is, he's all casual. He's like, Oh yeah, man, you just get on the thing and figure it out and do, 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 do. And like, <laughs> you know, he's like, <laughs> He's good really luck. casual about his, uh, yeah, like, oh, you figured out, you know, you're good. You can skateboard. And it's like, and then Nick was like, oh, hey, dude, here's how you track stand. And I was like, oh, that's cool. But like, how you're like, what about stopping? You're like, ah, you'll figure that out. Good Kinda, luck with that hill. Yeah. <laughs> Pre pretty much, actually. And like, they're a bit older than me. So I think back then there was a bit of like a bigger brother um, dynamic, perhaps. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, probably a bit of hazing, too. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. And I mean, the, that's that's part of messenger culture too is like tough love is is for sure there i hated that it's like such a jockish mentality yes. like i don't know i i, I, I too I, 
uh, I never really took part in it. I always would try to be supportive, but, uh, and then you get the bug, right? You figure out how to ride this thing and you know, there's upgrades and it was the same principle and concept for me from like that shitty Huffy to like mm. meaning, meaning this conversion to like race bike. And then I discovered, um, you know, pretty cool bikes, like had a Bianchi that I actually got from Travis Poe. I don't oh, know. Really? It, it was nice, dude. Wow. It was su- super, super nice. But oh, I got I, that. Celeste? Yeah, dude, with the chrome yeah, fork. I think, yeah, I remember that bike. I love that bike. I love, love, love that bike. Um, hmm. And then I went down to SF and was like, oh, shit, you guys got style. Like, it was different. Like, it was, like, very yeah. utilitarian. And coming from skateboarding and, like, hey, it was the 90s and late 80s. Like, shit was styled out. Um, I saw, like, road wheels of, like, tri-spokes, quad-spokes, whatever, five spokes on front wheels and i was like that's fucking styly like and um a lot of my friends that lived there at the time and mutual friends of ours obviously uh lived the mission they worked downtown they kind of just rode like flat around and then like some of them wouldn't even like really try to ride them down hills they just like walk them it was like that was cool it was like skateboarding they'd like bomb down the hills sometimes and walk them up or totally um and i caught wind of that shit and i was like okay that's tight. And this was, I think, Quake City Rumble, like, 2005, perhaps? Yeah, that sounds about right. Totally. And then I caught wind of, like, uh, Gabe and Mike. They were working on a project. And I was like, what's up? I want to be down. And they are like, you got to live in SF. And I was like, fuck. And I literally contemplated moving to SF just to, like, ride with people. Because in Seattle, there wasn't a lot of people that were riding them, you know. But um, so I chose to stay in Seattle. And I... Then James and I started like really riding a lot together, even on the weekends after like messaging all week. And it was like, man, check out this weird skid that I thought of. Or so we were like trying to like put together combos or tricks or like I wanted to be styled out, man. You know, and James is super good at that stuff. So we would hang out and, um, you know, I guess I'm derailing from the question a little bit, but that's just like was a natural like progression, you know. And um, and then I think. You moved up shortly after. When did you move to Seattle? I was trying to remember. Oh, was it like 06 or something? 05. Okay. November that, 05. That's right. Right. Because I think pretty quickly after yeah, we hung out in SF, you had moved up to Seattle. And I was like, I was pumped. I was like, sick. He knows how to ride. He's styly. And you started, you know, your clean which I was like fanboy of, you know. And I was like, oh, this is fucking tight. And I remember like, you know, I used to hang out in this church parking lot, like drink a beer and like, yeah. oh, yeah, you can all your track bike like sick or like, oh, dude, I saw this one dude, you know, Andy, whoever, like do this skid, like try it. Like you put your fucking foot through the nice. frame. And I was like, what? the? And I was like, yo, Newman, check this out. And he's like, oh, yeah, I already did that one. You know, like classic Newman shit. But um, <laughs> God, it was ex- God, it was exciting. It was really everything was new. Nothing had been done. And there was like kind of a movement building. Um, and then. I tried to get into road bikes. Like I had a Eddie Merckx I bought from Matt Case and I was like training on the counterbalance team. I started to get the race bug because the messenger races were messenger races were tight and alley cats were fun, but like I wanted to race race. Like I, oh, I got really good at alley cats really, really quick and won a bunch and then kind of like disconnected. I was like, all right, I need a harder challenge or something, you know? Right. Um, so then it was Marymore and it was the velodrome and I was like, cool it's this thing i ride in the street that i work on but I, I can also race it out here messenger budget like shit that makes sense yeah you know? would you ride to marymore and then do the races sometimes i thought i was hot shit i thought it'd be like good for me like because i didn't know what to do training wise or anything and i totally worked all week in the rain right. around on this thing and i'm like i'm like yeah it'll like it'll be good for my legs like it'll warm me up and it's like i was tired by the time i got there yeah it's like 30 miles away <laughs> and then i had to then I had to ride back, yeah. you know, in the dark or some crazy shit. <laughs> idiot, idiot, idiot. Obviously. But that's how you learn. You, yeah. You know? Youth. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So that's, that's kind of the timeline or like how I got involved or where I went with it, you know, just set of influence and traveling and meeting friends like you and you know everyone else. And then as you were racing for counterbalance, then you moved, you moved to Philly. Is that right? Yeah, so um, I had a step. I have a stepbrother, and he was living there at the time. And I went down to Westside Invite in Portland, and I met. Um, I already knew Fergus, and I met Sharky, and I was like, "That dude's fucking rad." And this dude Brian lived there. Brian and Andrea. I'm sure you remember oh, them. Yeah. 
and they were all just such like positive, nice, like lovely, lovely people. And I was like, these guys are rad. And Sharky was like, you can make real money in Philly. Like he's like, I pulled this amount in. And if you want to make money and still do this, this is kind of where you should go. At that point, I'd already lived in Washington pretty much my whole life. I had never been to the East Coast. And, you know, when you're early, mid-20s, it's like, I'm not in school. I chose to do this, like, blue-collar profession or art or whatever instead of school. So, like, this is my option. And I was like, well, I've never been to the East Coast. Like, fuck it. I'll move there. Worst case, I can, I can always move back. Or I was torn, Dustin. It was either SF or, or Philadelphia. And SF would have been a very safe um option and i just wanted to be pushed i wanted to experience new cities that were unfamiliar and i wanted to i had a, a lust for development or or perhaps growth and i thought going to the east coast would be a good thing for that and i had the opportunity to have like a photo show there and then um that did pretty well and gave me like a, a cushion to be able to have some money to get my own place and that kind of thing and then the knack happened like later that year so i helped organize it helped organize the art show side and um, was really welcomed by the messenger community there. And it was a pretty positive thing for about a year. But the thing that happened with that is that everyone moved back. Like, Fergus mm. was like, fuck this shit. You know? <laughs> like, and I, I, I love Fergus for that. Like, he's, he's such a good dude. And um, I love his directness, you know. And uh, some other people, like Andrew and Brian left. Like, everyone that Sharky went back to Portland. Like, there was, like, the, this exodus, right, as I started to get comfortable there. And then it was just, like, you know, um, typically like really mean like Philadelphia messengers that like aren't that at that time they weren't that welcoming or it was like this like tough guy crew or whatever and these people didn't like these people and it was like really clicky and dramatic oh. and I, I just didn't really flow like that I guess I was very un east coast like at, at that time so yeah I lived there for two years and I think you look you guys lived there for like a couple months or something you're like checking it out at one point or? yeah yeah I, okay I don't remember what, what years that was but I don't think, I don't think you were there. I was. Man, we didn't, we weren't there for very long. So I, I feel like I didn't even see you there. I don't even remember. Because no, Tom and I were like riding for, I guess, we were like sponsored for Cadence. Like you, you flowed me with some gear and I was hyped on that. And it was like getting sponsored as a skateboard rider. I was like, yeah, yeah. track bike. I, dude, I was hyped. You've always been so, so good to me. And then Tom, you know, he was coming up and, him and I met, he was like, oh, you can wheelie your track bike? And I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah, me too. And I was like, cool, let's ride together. This kid was 16. Like, Yeah, and shreds. Fuck, dude. Like, we went, yeah, whole other story there. But, um, yeah, I mean, we were, like, both hyped. And I was like, oh, dude, Dustin's moving here. And then I think you were just like, hey, real talk. Like, we're, like, trying to get our shit together, figure out our direction. Like, I'll link up to you when I'm not busy. And we're like, cool, no problem. And you're like, yeah, I'm actually not going to move here. Like, but I'll link with you back on the West Coast. And then we yeah. ended up linking in Berkeley, I think, a little bit later, yeah. that kind of thing. But I think I think you were just, you and Ellie were figuring it out, man. You were busy, and that's okay. You know? And then from Philly, you ended up going to New York? Yeah, so, like, I got burnt out on Philly. It was pretty negative base. It was hard to make a buck. Like, I mean, you would bust your ass to make 100 bucks. And, like, Whoa. you and know, the then... Weather, I, too. Oh, dude. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. I mean, you know, props to those guys that can handle that stuff. I got very sick of snow at that point, and uh, it was really tight streets. You weren't able to maneuver or, like, really get through, and it was this really hard, grueling, taxing job for, like, 80 bucks a day, and it's, like, it's when you start to question, like, why do I do this? And this is where people start to, like, want to not do that profession anymore, right? You're like, this shit's not worth it. Let me figure out what else I want to do. And um, Wait, wait, you what know, Hold on. I want to ask you about the how was ride were you riding your track bike in the winter? Yeah. And like, how does it work? Is it is it sketchy? So have, is it fine? Like uh you get really good at handling. And I think that's why I got really good at dirt later in life, because I oh. figured out handling out of out of necessity, right? But yeah, I mean back then I think we were on like twenty three C tires. Dude. And uh, drop bars because we we're it's a track bike. We're real messengers, right? Like these kind of. <laughs> and um, you would just keep your hips loose and kind of wiggle around and just I don't know. You got good at sliding around. Like the first night, I actually rode in the snow. I was with Sharky and this dude Joey Dement, and we got drunk and tattooed each other because it was like my first time riding a track bike in the snow, and that <laughs> made the most that made the most sense at the time. I have I, I can show you in person, but uh, yeah, just <laughs> find find gems on my ankle. I might add. Um, 
So, dude, I don't know. Yeah, then I, I started going out to New York for, like, Alley Cats and Messenger events. And, uh, you know, the New York community back then was really tight and all also pretty positive and pretty, like, welcoming and warm. And there was just more action going on. And um, I had a little photo show once again. I was, you know, I've always kind of done photography and had an interest in it since I was a kid. And uh, that's what I wanted to pivot to. I wanted to get out of messaging, cliche story, to be a photographer. And I was like, well, cool. there's going to be more opportunity for me in New York. Totally. And, um, yeah, so then, then I moved to New York. I had an opportunity to live with um, this dude, Brad. He's owned Trackstar, gave me his room. And it was like a $500 room in Brooklyn, which at the time was like probably half. So he, he kind of gave me an alley-oop as like a welcome. That's awesome. And um, I ended up like messaging for him part-time for a little bit. And he was pretty supportive. And, you know, uh, it was just a, it was an exciting, supportive community back then. I think it was a bit different um, from what I know of New York messenger culture now. But things change. Right? And then New York, too, is just like everything's there. So it's like bigger culture, fucking there's like a whole the art world is there like every culture has some sort of stake in that city it's where i wanted to be you know yeah there's just tons of opportunities there how was the transition into that place was it you know because it's also can be a very difficult city to just thrive difficult to thrive difficult to survive i gave myself three years the first Mm. year um was really hard man like i right I wanted to make it work and I wanted to accomplish a goal of some sort of gratification of what I had perceived at the time of success on some level. And, uh, and you know, I really wanted to give New York a solid effort. So, um, yeah, the first year I worked three jobs and all of them were on the bike. So I would work oh, wow. for like track star in the morning. I would go like deliver food in Williamsburg after work till like 11. Um, and then other days I would like, uh, you know, deliver the good stuff. And, uh, you know, like it was all bike delivery stuff and I was able to make like two grand a week at some points, um, 1500 a week. And back then was great money, uh, especially like mid twenties, like $500 rent. So, um, I was saving up for like camera equipment and what I thought I needed to like transition. But, um, I kind of got stuck in that loophole for like four years almost of like, straight delivery jobs and just making an insane amount of cash under the table at these jobs. And, uh, I had to force myself out of a loop, um, more or less. And then that's kind of when I was like, you know, picking up photography work and doing freelance stuff and, you know, trying to pivot and transition out of that. And, um, you know, I kind of decided that's not what I wanted to do full time. I wasn't shooting for myself anymore and I was starting to get burnt and, so that's kind of when I had the idea for a bike shop because I had already worked in shops at a long, every city I've lived in, I've worked in a shop because I have, you know, race support and the ability to get parts cheaper to race. And, uh, so then I just like put my head down and worked for pretty much five years straight and just saving, 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 saving. So that was like the timeline and there's some stuff in between and, you know, probably before and after I perhaps left out but were you collecting bikes or anything throughout this time or was that more like after you started to get a shop and a space for it well you know me yeah uh (laughs) i was collecting during the whole time and you know i probably could open the shop like two years earlier or or some made-up timeline if i wouldn't have but i was teaching myself and i Dude, back then you could find really amazing bites or pretty dirt cheap. And um, I had access to a car and I would like hunt Craigslist, scour and flip and just try to save. And I just enjoyed the process and I enjoyed handing something off to some somebody that was so beautiful or rare, or sought out or appreciated. It was like really gratifying work and, you know, thrilled hunt too, right? So, um, yeah, I was always, I've always done that, even from like trading parts to like Maestro who, that one's King Cog in Oakland with Gina, like in like 2005, like, you know, we were like trading, like I'll trade you these can't be cranks for the Seguino 75 plus this can't be headset to like, you know, or like just wheeling and wheeling and dealing track bike parts. Cause back yeah. then you couldn't really find track bike parts like at, at bike shops, you know? So, um, and, I've always done that and I've always really enjoyed that. Yeah. And that's kind of just part of messenger culture too. It's like, Oh, I need a wheel set or Hey, who wants yeah. this frame? And the frame will go to like four different people before it, goes to four more people <laughs> yeah yeah 
that so, Bianchi from Travis Poe, you know? Yeah, it did. The, the Pinarella, <laughs> like there's so many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then eventually you were just like, were you just gathering all these bikes and you're like, I can't, I need a spot to put them or did you get the space and then all the bikes? Like, I don't, uh, you I had okay. an insane collection of insane bikes, <laughs> museum quality bikes. This guy has. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thanks. Uh, I was living in the East village and I turned this like makeshift dining room into a bike shop essentially. And oh, I, cool. I, you know, in New York, you have to, you have to be very feng shui about your space or maybe zen like or i don't know you just have to there's a term for it in japanese that i can't recall but utilitarian uh, you just gotta work with what you got utilization of space to the fullest right and um i grew out of that and then you know i think at that point i actually got a job part-time at king cog in brooklyn when gina and uh gina and sean owned it and i had space to like kind of have projects and I had space to also like a space to sell projects in and I would give them like a percentage for you know them selling it and that was great this was in King Cog's they gave you like a corner or like a part of the store to you to sell your stuff out of yeah so I was working there and they you know they allowed me to sell stuff in the shop and then they would take a percentage you know and it was great and um Sean and I we're, we knew each other in SF and he was like the first track bike messenger I knew to get into like road racing. And I remember just oh. picking his brain. Like every time I went to SF, I was like, yeah, so I'm thinking about doing this criterium. Like I've never done one. Do you have any pointers? So him and I are pretty close friends for a long time. And, um, when he, uh, married Gina and, and, you know, was intertwined with King Cog, like him and I developed a really close friendship and we were still wheeling and dealing with each other and talking shit and racing and, you know, um, so that was the natural progression from there. I got bikes out of my apartment and it was, had a, had a resource and a place to sell. And, um, you know, like I would help them out with photography and listing bike frames or, you know, I'd go in there with my lights and stuff and I could consider them family. And, you know, uh, if I could apply my to help their business and they've helped me out and that's cool. That's like reciprocation. And I think that's really important. Um, so that was a step there. And then, um, it's a ton of vintage stuff and it's stuff I knew and, you know, I, I love them dearly, but I was like, I want to learn more and I want to learn like a lot of modern new technology. Electronic, electronic shifting was out of that time. I didn't know how to work on it. Hydraulic brakes were out. I didn't know how to work on those. So oh. I ended up getting a job at NYC Velo, um, who is an amazing shop in New York and anyone listening in New York, definitely check out that shop. And um, they do top quality work and carry really phenomenal bikes. And Andrew, the owner, is a, a great dude. We went to France a bunch together. We've ridden in Italy together. He took me to the Physique Grand Fondo in Italy. Um, so I just started to learn more about culture, racing, uh, modern equipment. And that's what I wanted to know is for my next step forward. And I didn't have the intention or goal of opening a shop, but I, oh. I kind of was going that way. And I was really excited about that potential um, to combine like skill sets of photography and mechanics and later a brand. You know, it went bananas from there <laughs> but yeah so that's like kind of the timeline or steps or was my experience in new york but then when did you get your own space like how did that happen okay so um there's a guy named carl uh he owns a company called vicious cycles and he has a sub company of that called metal guru and he's located in new Paltz in uh, new york like upstate um and he teaches painting classes and i was like okay like Every bike shop owner I know. For bikes. For bikes, yeah. And I was like, every fucking bike shop owner I know is like balding, pulling their hair out, stressed out about money and margins and like high credit lines. And, I, you know, it, it, it's a hustle and it's hard, and especially in these times. And I saw the market shift. I saw what was happening in the bike industry. And I was just like, well, what, where can I provide a service or how can I be in, in the, involved in the bike industry in New York City? without you know opening a shop more or less and how can i contribute to something that's creative and i was like well there's a ton of frame builders in new york painting there's not a lot there wasn't at the time a lot of good painting options within the city um and so i basically paid for this like really intensive program and went through like three different levels of classes and three different trips to um paint bikes i wanted to be a badass bike painter and i wanted to like have that be a creative outlet because i could still utilize photography Mm -hmm. color working with customers creating you know a unique beautiful thing that people would enjoy and i really you know found it really satisfying but and it's still bikes 
and it's still bikes. Yeah, I love them. And um, kind of what happened there, my friend, is that I realized very quickly that I couldn't be around all these chemicals and inhaling all this shit yeah. and race bikes. Oh, so, yeah. Um, Interesting. Or just in general. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, racing bikes, of course, but just I, as a bigger picture, they're probably not the best <laughs> for us. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, you know, no matter how great your ventilation is or sealed or this or that, you're still going to be exposed. Like your skin's an organ. It's yeah. absorbent. It, it's going to uh, absorb those chemicals. And I still wanted to be some sort of a mediocre athlete or whatever. <laughs> so Yeah, or um, an athlete. I, Athlete's an athlete, whether it's paid or not. Like it's just yeah. own that shit. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I, I had a space to build a paint booth in. And I was just using it as like my race studio. It was like where I had all my race bikes and, you know, it was just a place outside of my apartment because I had a studio apartment that was, it's a studio in New York, you can imagine. So, um, yeah, it was bad. Um, I got this space and I was like, cool, it's affordable. I, you know, I I make enough where I can justify this and, um, you know, I I, want to be able to service my own bike. So at that point I was racing for a company called number 22 and, I was in cyclocross and, you know, you have six sets of wheels that are tubular. You have two bikes, you have, it's, it's just a lot of equipment in general. Plus I was doing road, plus I was doing track and then I later got involved in mountain. So just myself, I think at one point I had like 14 bikes in the wall and they were all like my cool. race bikes and I had a bench and, and tools and my stuff going on, you know, <laughs> you're like, I basically I a built a bike shop because I just needed to maintain all of my bikes. I mean, you can relate, right? Like, look at your setup. I mean, uh, yeah, well, it's you know. pro, man. <laughs> I, I appreciate that, but I can see through those words. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. Um, so then that it was is like, hilarious. Yeah. So th- then I had a reputation as on some level as being a mechanic or mechanically inclined. And I would see guys at races like, Hey, my shifting's fucked up. Can you take a look at it? Yeah, dude, come by, you know? And then oh, like, funny. Then word of mouth happened through that. And then all of a sudden I was starting to get really fucking busy. So I had to quit uh, my NYC Velo job to like do this, to basically accommodate everyone's uh, schedule. That's so and cool. I was like, and I was like, okay, you need to get a business license. Here we go. And I was like, a, a good friend of mine, Cooper, uh, was yeah. in the studio the day I signed the lease. I'm on a ladder and I have my head down and I just, I know what's coming, you know? And I was just like, and he captured that moment in a really, really brilliant photo that he still has. And I kind of like snapped at him. I was like, dude, why'd you take that photo? Like, oh, I'm so stressed out. He was like, you're going to really appreciate this photo like 10 years from now. And uh, pretty recently I saw it and I was like, yeah, that was a really great capture in a, a moment in time. Um, but yeah, so that was the development and the start of my studio. It was like a race level uh, service studio that yeah. like co-athletes and co-competitors would you know, trust to like bring their, um, bikes to, because they'd see me out there and I was always on fly shit and my shit always worked, you know? So, um, and I just like talking to people and I like helping people solve problems. Like I would hit someone's barrel adjuster to race or like put their saddle on my neck and run through it real quick. And, you know, just make sure their shifting was good before a race and like little stuff like that mattered a lot or, um, meant something to people. And I like that, but, um, yeah, I mean, there's teams that wanted to come like just to me and it, it, almost became an unmanageable solo. It was like seven days a week. I had a girlfriend. I had a, had Rosie at that point. She was like a little puppy, like, you know, life was busy and I was racing and training. Oh, like wow. I was nuts. Yeah. I'd wake up at six, go train, do whatever I had to do. Come work till like 11, eat dinner on the bench and like go home and just like, it wasn't sustainable. You know? Right. Yeah. But it's fun and exciting when it's like new and it's your thing and it's working. You're like, fuck yeah. yeah. There's nothing else you would rather do. It was it's like, it was pretty cool. Yeah, it's like kind of that's part of the process. That beginning, you're just like, ah, all of it, and then yeah. it's got to level out into reality, and and it and it does too. But I I yeah. really love how that transition happened so organically. It's so cool. Mm. You were kind of already doing the same thing. You needed the space, and you got a space, and then you ended up just doing your own version and getting busy over there. You're like, well, I'm gonna quit the right the job. The I don't know. The it's not a paid for like the other person paying me version and just have people pay me version. Right. It's so cool. How seamless. Yeah. Then you have to teach yourself about being self-employed and, you know, yet taxes, <laughs> all the good, all the good stuff. Yeah. So, you Did know, you... the grass is always greener out of their foot. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, right. 
because then you're like responsible for everything. You don't just get to like leave. <laughs> like, cool. Yeah. Have fun locking up yeah. tonight. Did uh, yeah. <laughs> did you have the name Deluxe like figured out? Like, oh, I'm gonna make this a brand, or was it just like my Willis's spot? And then eventually, you're like, I gotta call this something. Yeah, totally. The latter for sure. Um, you know, I didn't want to call it like something bike shop or, mm. you know, I was like bicycle emporium or something like elegant was, was interesting. I didn't know, man. I originally contacted, uh, John Watson, from probably he's not the Radivist and, uh, and Chaz, just people that I knew in the industry that, um, I trusted their opinion. And I was like, Hey, I'm thinking about calling it lighthouse studios. Cause oh, I grew up sailing. Cool. I, I love lighthouses. And to me, it's like, a beacon of light in like a storm like you know like i'm the my shop is a lighthouse of like Love it. whatever you know i was i ate a little bit of edibles and like kind of was sketching and came up with that and i was like oh that's, that's like awesome conceptually kind of neat which i still might do actually on a different project but um i was like or deluxe and Chaz and, and john both said uh lighthouse they're like lighthouse studios like that's way cooler oh so so then i was like all right i'm gonna call it deluxe because <laughs> um <laughs> you're like thanks guys now i really know what to do suckers i love those guys i love those dudes that is an awesome story oh my god so basically um a friend came in with a bike build and he was like hey like i want you to go nuts like build it up the way you would build it like like the deluxe way and i was like oh cool i was like that's tight and i was like yeah like if you look at any cars or i don't know probably a soft drink or whatever like the the luxurious version or the better version is always called like the deluxe version you know mm. so i was like huh and it's one word and really like loving letters and coming from a graffiti background and typography and yeah. calligraphy and all of this like i was like aesthetically that letter combination is sick and cool. i used to avoid x's and that was like my achilles heel with calling it that name yeah and i was like Okay, let just, me learn X's. Yeah. And just fucking sat there, dude, and drew and drew and drew and looked up fonts. And I was like, actually, I think this could work. Sick. So, yeah, that's how I got the shop name. It just kind of, like, happened like that. Was the studio that th- was the, that we're talking about right now, is that the same upstairs space that you had before you left New York? No, so that was my oh. – the one that we had the collaboration or you came out and, and did the art show and stuff um, or the installation of the co-motion, which – I wish I would have saved those fucking boards, dude. That's a, one of the things about closing that space. That's I wish I would have saved those. But total side note, um, that was the second space, and oh, oh, uh, the first the first space was down the street. It was much smaller, um, and it was really, really affordable because it was in a really odd, strange, weird neighborhood. Like I'd, I'd have customers come up, they were just like, "What is? This? Why did you choose this space?" And I'm awesome. like, "It's what I can afford. It. I'm right. starting out. Sorry." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so that was my. First space, yeah. And I liked how I, I'm assuming the first space was similar to the second space. They they were these like unconventional spaces. And your current one, they're it's it's very much this destination. So yeah. you're like deluxe, you gotta kinda find it. And then you're like, whoa, this epic thing in this like weird back corner, upstairs, downstairs sort of environment is yeah. is fucking cool. Yeah. Thanks, man. I think that was a really um unique like it's a reflection of a really unique time in New York that I think has probably passed. But when I first moved there, I think I caught the tailwind of it. But what you had is you had a lot of abandoned or really cheap, like rundown spaces and the way people would repurpose them. I always thought was really creative. And like, it, it also like upset like the traditional standard format, which I thought was intriguing yeah. to kind of like push our comprehension of what that is. And, um, you know, so conceptually that's kind of where it was, but also it's what I could afford, dude. Like, I mean, I yeah. literally, I don't have investor. I don't have any help whatsoever. Like it was literally like, okay, I have this figure saved up and I'm going all in. And if this doesn't work out, I have backup plans, but here we go. Yeah. Like when I made the decision to call it, call it deluxe and like really make an official shop and I invested heavily into tooling and, um, I went nuts in that right. space. Like, you know, growing up, my mom is an interior designer and I love, I love redefining how spaces are laid out or in what area I just always have. So, um, that's kind of the backstory of the first space. And then the, I, the vintage bikes, I'm like, so intrigued. (laughs) I've just been so blown away by the, they're just so beautiful and like the hunt and they're, it's, they're so precious and parts of history and 
a beautiful, but sorry, how did you start to, I mean, I know you've kind of always been into them, but I feel like there was like a point where you're like, oh, yo, like I'm a bike shop now. Like now I can get all the crazy shit that I've wanted. It's sort of the outside looking in. Is that sort of how it played out for you? Oh, wait, no, we've talked about this briefly for sure. That's a good point. Um, so growing up from meager means and, and, you know, kind of working very hard and finding these things and hunting for them. It was like, I wanted to collect what I would have wanted back then or what I knew of back then. And it was some sort of like, there's a term for it, which I'm forgetting, but it's some sort of like goal accomplished in coming into like adulthood. Like, and it's, kind of materialistic which i don't like like this one material object like is like a figure of like my accomplishments like i don't really believe in that a whole lot but um they're interesting they're intriguing they're beautiful they're sexy the design is incredible the paint jobs are nuts like if you look at a somac logo like i'm sorry that's just beautiful that's what i'm saying like and i think that's really important to like just like that history is so rich it's, yeah. you know to know that like this foundation is fucking that it's some very rich soil that's a good point. And I think that was an aspect of the space too. Cause I would have people that, you know, were just race oriented and it was like, it's a tool. They don't give a shit. They want it to work and they want to go like meet their athletic goal. And that's and, tight. I, and I they get, only I, want like the newest of new, they don't give a fuck about anything else. Yeah. And I thought that was cool, but I, and I honestly, like I'm very utilitarian with bikes now. And even back then I was starting to be like, it's a fucking race machine. Like I need it to be oh. this way. Totally. But I would, ha- I would have a lot of customers that would come in from that athletic background that were like, whoa, what's this? And I had a chance to kind of like educate or show how technology advanced or like, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm a bit of a historian in that way, but I, I could like name like this year, this athlete did this in this race, right? On this Dude. style bike or this bike specifically. And like, it was cool to share the information. They're like, whoa, like there's a lot of history to this. And I'm like, yeah, and you should know it, real talk. But I'll eloquently explain and, you know, show and try to, like, make that connection. And, um, like, there was an athlete who I, I can – I'm not going to name him, but uh, he didn't know who, like, Pantani was or Merckx or – I mean, even new guys. Like, it, he just didn't know a lot of the history. And um, I was like, I kindly implore you to look up these documentaries on YouTube. Check it out. Next time you bring your bike in, we'll have something to talk about. I'll make some coffee. And he was like, dude, they were the truth, like – and got all hyped up and I was like, yeah, check it out. And they're doing on this bike. It's like 21 pounds. That's, dude, that's so crazy that you would actually yeah. be like, and look, you can touch it. You could sit on it. Like, yeah. So it was just, oh, it was like an old guy with like models in, or like a hot rod in the garage or something. It was like yeah. my version. Like it was like models. Like, and it, in those spaces that were very industrial with lots of natural light and, you know, they complimented the space to what I was trying to do more than just be like, you know, a high end race level shop. Like it was like adding culture to racing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like history to the current culture. It's just yeah. like this beautiful intertwining of all the aspects. Yeah. Uh, dude, I just saw the, they, this crazy Yamaguchi that, that dude, Eric bones just built up. Yeah. And he got that from you. Yeah, dude. So, um, dude, that bike Please tell me. I know. I know. It was honestly kind of hard to let go of. And Eric, you know this. I love you. You're my friend. But that was a hard one to let go. And my intention with it was uh, to kind of bastardize it almost. Like I wanted to put like a mountain bike rear derailleur and like riser bars. And essentially essentially have it be like my townie in SF was like my goal. Like on some some Eugene Hood shit. Just like the flyest shit ever like for your townie. You know? (laughs) And um so Eric wanted to do an art show at my shop and we had talked about it and I, I, you know, I'm always open and suggested to my friends and if I have space to like do something together and, uh, he was like really into it and we planned for it. And I was like, Hey, actually, um, your art show is going to be the last art show of that space. So I'm actually going to close it, um, and, you know, move on. And, uh, he was really into it and he was like, okay, you know, he came down. Dude, he lived in that shop for three days, barely slept, coffee, like an IV, and did the whole thing in his CDs. It was like sleeping on the couch. Whoa. Like he would, <laughs> he would, <laughs> oh I, would I would come in and 
just be like, have you slept? He's like, no, I'm like really embracing this and like really getting into it. And I was like, tight. Like, I love it when artists like go just that far into like their project. And it meant a lot that him knowing that it was even the last art show there, that that show would be temporary for him to even go that hard in. Cause a lot of people will get a little complacent yeah. or might, you know? So, um, anyways, art show was great. The closing party was awesome. Um, and then kind of like the realization of like liquidization had to happen. Like I had to, I had to purge cause I had built such an out of control, amazing collection of builders from all over the world. And, um, one of them was that team, that Z frame, the time trial frame. And, you know, we're closing, we're kind of like hanging out and just like recapping on the event. And he was like, so, uh, what's up with that Yamaguchi? And I was like, oh man, really? I was like, that's the one I was like, all right. I was like, I would love for you to have it. I was like, but I asked him, I was like, so how are you going to build it up? You know, he was like, he's like, I kind of want to build as a road bike and like ride it. And I was like, okay, you're going to do way better justice to that bike than I will bastardizing it, riding around SF. And, uh, you know, I was really appreciative of his efforts. And I wanted to like reciprocate that. And, um, I was like, all right, so are you open to trade? Like, can we trade partial for one of your pieces of work? Um, and then we'll figure out the rest later. And he was like super humbled by that. And it was just a great connection. And, you know, we're still good friends to this day. Dude, so, so yeah, sick. he got, he got that Gucci and I'm, I'm happy for him. How did you find that bike? Like, how, I know it's like a bunch of things, but, or maybe this question is more about you. It, it appears that you're very into like the hunt. And then also yeah. there's a thing that you would do for a while on Instagram, which I thought was so cool it would be you would show like a picture of like a cool little like model thing or like a badge and you'd be like life what would you call it like life small life goal check oh dude that's so cool you saw that they uh, were so, but you did a few like several of them and they were yeah. just these like oh like i finally found like the this you know the yamaguchi pen like life goal check like little ones and small, i just thought oh life goal I think yeah small life goal accomplished but they were just so cool because it's like it can be these little things and they're it's like these fun little treasures it doesn't have to be like oh this fucking car or this whole bike or whatever like these cool little things and to me that really spoke to your personality because you're like also these epic bikes but then you're like but this like this like hubcap is fucking cool too or like this weird bolt to this one bike, to this da-da-da-da-da, is, like, so awesome. Yeah. yeah. I'm a bit of a – I'm a, a huge cycling fan from an engineering perspective to aesthetics to paint to logo design to the athlete. Like, I just love it, and it, it just really enthralled myself in it. And um, I was also kind of, like, poking a jab at, like, um, like materialism, right? So I was like, yeah, small life goal accomplished. Like, I got this thing. Like, uh, it was just, like, my little jab at um, being materialistic. But I think – the ability to have those objects and be able to explain the history is really important. And, you know, just even go back to explaining to athletes or even like, dude, young kids getting into it. Like, you know, young track bike kids in New York are very passionate. And like, it's cool to be like, yeah, this is this thing that came out of the state and their fucking heads are blown. And they're so yeah. cool that you see them like develop or their interests go to road or wherever it goes, or maybe just track bikes or, you know, wherever people take it. But um, I think it's cool to a unique space and to have the, the space and place to be able to educate people and in an organic manner and just out of like love for it you know like um i still have so much of that shit actually when you see the new studio you're gonna laugh a lot of it's in the bathroom but (laughs) uh yeah i have a lot of that stuff but how much of it too is like this hunt like it seems like you kind of thrive off of the the chase like looking for the thing i well i'm kind of determined in general right so like and i just come across shit i'm always looking okay. and it comes from like digging for records to dj or just like trying to find that one thing and going to bike swaps and being like digging this massive box and being like whoa this is this fucking Giro d'italia 19 whatever pin like hey on my shirt five bucks we're good you know like just coming across shit like um bike swaps yeah and interacting um in like online communities uh oh yeah All at, of at that it. time craigslist like driving six hours to buy this Bob Jackson tandem from Martha's Vineyard. And then I had to drive that shit back in the snow. Like it's an adventure. Dude, there's, I could go on. There's so many. Yeah. It's calmed down. It's calmed down right now. I have a track tandem, which I hopefully one day you and I can ride. Um, Gnarly. Oh, you've had one or maybe it was different. 
It was I've had a couple. Same. Yeah. I've had a couple. Yeah. I remember like even seeing videos. Did you guys ride that around? Did somebody Monster ride Park. it during Monster Track or something? Yeah. So, um, what the fuck? An, an old mechanic of, of mine uh, and I rode it in Monster Track. And we, it was, dude, it was such shit weather. It was like 40 degrees, like sleeting, like the worst conditions possible. And it was actually his day off. I get to give it up to Dijon for doing that with me. And we actually did like, I think we did two checkpoints. And I was like, Hey, I don't know, dude. I'm good. And he was like, "Thank you." He's like, "Thank God." He's like, "I'm, I'm over this." He was like, "It's cool we did it and showed up." Like, I, I just thought, like, it's so ridiculous. Like, yeah, we oh, have to do it. It's perfect. And he played along with it, and you know, then we like rode home. He got a lot of shit from all of his friends for doing it because it was like pretty sketchy. But what was really cool and a positive note of that experience is that we learned that we ride track bikes the same, meaning like we start with our left foot forward, like yeah. we'll backpedal in the same pattern like because you're linked to this thing with someone so you get to feel like what they do and i was like whoa like we actually ride really kind of the same as far as like new york traffic flow so like i felt pretty safe on it with him and he did too we did a little video with um terry and his old business partner in prospect park and it was like a three minute video but they just came by the studio and were like oh this is sick like i just got it painted and they're like yeah let's just do a little video we just rode in prospect park and i've ridden it on an sf with a couple people like At my grand opening, there was, like, a, a younger generation that came through. And these guys are nuts. Like, the shit you and I were doing is, like, child's play in comparison. It's so cool to see. Like, it's still progressing, you know? And uh, they were, like, blown away by it. They're, like, all kind of standing around it at the opening. And I was like, dudes, let's take it out. And they're like, what? I'm like, Sick. yeah. Like, you guys Sick. know how to ride these things. Figure it out. Like, it's flat in this in, in Richmond. I was like, go, you know? So that was cool to, like, pass it on to well, I just had like a random moment that like, oh, we're like the older generation now. <laughs> sorry, sorry, dog. <laughs> Which is whatever. That's what happens. I actually think it's kind of cool that we're still in the same culture. You know what I mean? To be able to be an older generation in it instead of like, ah, mm. oh, you know, now I'm into like motorcycles or now I'm do this other like I just barbecue and. I don't know. Like, there's a lot of that. You know, the longer you're into something, the more you're like, oh, they're into other things. They don't do this anymore. Like, I think that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I could list off like 10 friends as you could that don't ride anymore. And, and that's okay, too. Like, not only has to do this diehard thing, but to your right. point, I, I, do, I think it is really admirable that we, we are still in the same space. And we have gone different ways and riding different bikes now, but it's the same principles, right? Yeah. And I, it's just the, like we're just passion it's our passion like we're just kind of connected to it yeah we, we were drawn to it at one point and then like other things just kind of start happening exactly like how the shop ended up working you're like oh i'm just kind of doing right. this thing and then all of a sudden you know it's like oh i guess this is just like the path that i'm going down like it's yeah, so, yeah. it's so cool to I mean, this is almost like a, a bigger perspective for someone that's younger. Because even when I was younger, you're like, I want to know exactly what to do and how to get to that thing and this and that. And it's kind of about, like, don't worry so intensely about what the goal is. It's really the cliche of, like, the life is the journey. You're just kind of going along with the thing. Find the passion. Let that be the compass. And then just, just do the things and let it kind of do all the versions find the passion let that be the compass that's good stuff dude yeah i i would wholeheartedly agree and it really like enjoying the process like if you're yes. doing whatever process and, and really enjoying that and open to that then like when something an opportunity let's say or you know an option we'll call it comes about you're more open to it because you're enjoying it so much and i think that's like the point of navigation more or less is like really try to find that it's tough to find too i'm still trying to figure it out yeah <laughs> Yeah, but I think that's on like a a micro level. Like I think on right. a, on a bigger level, you your compass is is working, you know. And I think also that's like enjoy what you do, enjoy the process. Like that's basically to me the definition of success. So mm. monetary whatever, material whatever, like mm. those are sort of like tertiary whatever side. I don't know the name of that. How to say that word? It's right. just the because all we have is the experience of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So if whatever we're doing, if we're enjoying that thing, that experience, as long as we can survive in some capacity, that's it. You're winning. Like just do that and then it'll end and that's it. (laughs) 
for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff, isn't it? I mean, the trick is to like monetize it and not completely bastardize what you're doing and lose sight of the initial intention and passion and goal and like that balance. I think for me personally, I've struggled with a few times over, you know, what I would call my career. Um, and that's never, it's a hard balance, man. You know, like there's no easy answer to it and it's very much case by case. But I think that would be the one thing I would advise people is like, if you do want to monetize your passion, like do research first, like figure out how to do your taxes. What, what business license is best for you? Is it LLC? Is it C Corp? Is it S Corp? You know, is it DBA? Like what, you know, like do that research and don't get overwhelmed by it. Cause you don't want to figure that shit out as you go. Um, that would be my only input, you know? Yeah. I mean, of course you gotta, you gotta do that's work right there, that category, but yeah. you know, it's like a, <laughs> it's a byproduct of doing something that you enjoy doing. You know, yeah. you could also go and work for someone and get paid a lot, which is a positive, but then you're being told what to do all the time by someone that's not that cool. Hypothetically that, yeah, the uncool stuff that the jerk's telling you what to do every day on a tight deadline, that's the same as figuring mm -hmm. out what business entity you need to be. <laughs> it's sure. just like... Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I, I agree. I don't know. Tangent. Tangent. <laughs> it's good stuff, man. It's good stuff. I don't know. Well, maybe that's a good ending point right there. We just figured out the meaning of life. We'll just, you know... Everybody go out and accomplish all your dreams and thank Willis. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> ride, ride your bike a lot. Be good to people, you know. Like, protest. Black Lives Matter. Take care of yourself, you know, right? Like, be responsible in your, your COVID preparation and how you interact with people. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, run with it. I would say run with passion. Yeah. Dig it. Dig it. All right. <laughs> We're going to seal it there. We're going to stop while we're ahead. Okay. Thank you for doing this, Willis. This was great. Dude, it's such a pleasure. I'm looking forward to actually being able to ride out and, and hang out and ride bikes together. Oh, <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah. Uh, any parting words? I guess you kind of did them. <laughs> uh, check out at Deluxe Cycles. Come see my new studio in San Francisco. Um, it's very different. It's not a shop. It's a photo design studio uh art gallery space for uh deluxe and keep an eye out for new products and new projects in the works there's a ton i've been working very 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 hard during uh this newly found free time and um i hope that you all enjoy and uh you know thank you to you for this opportunity Dustin. this is awesome in a normal world which who knows if that'll ever happen again is deluxe by appointment only or do you have open hours it's by appointment and that's for no other reason that I've had such a strict schedule for so long that I want to be able to go ride my bike whenever I want and not be like bound to like a normal business hour, at least for now. I just right. need some time to like process. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, so if someone wants to see the shop, like it's, it's definitely worth being like, Hey, are you around these times? Cause you know, sometimes oh, you're like, sure. Oh, appointment, it's intimidating. I don't know if I want to, I just, just do it. Can people do it now or is it? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. What I, what I say is do like, it. just send me a DM, let me know when you're visiting and I'll, I'll make an effort to be there for you and show you and I'll make you some tea and, um, you know, we'll keep a six, uh, feet space rule, like wear a mask and, um, just be responsible. And, you know, you're always welcome in my space. Sick. Yeah. I've highly suggested seeing the, the spaces that Willis creates and the conversation and the history and so on and so forth very you're doing a good thing there buddy we appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate you it. yeah i appreciate it likewise all right dear friend goodbye ciao